Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. He's also our Kazan. He's been active at the shul at least since 2000, what? 2005. He was trained probably 10 years ago as a Kazan, by one of our former Kazans, and uh, works for New York Life. If you need insurance, talk to him. He's a good man. He's an honest man. And he brings you, he brings you God's word today, and it's a word for all of us. When the PowerPoints are ready, go ahead. I won't start clicking through your stuff quite yet. Shabbat Shalom. I titled this drash, Gossip, How We Attack the Kingdom of Heaven with Our Words. And a little bit of background on this, my wife Diane and I started looking into what constitutes gossip. Because most of us know that locker room chit-chat and who did what, you're not supposed to do that. And we really started looking into what constitutes gossip, and we found out we had no idea how to speak. No clue. Because we gossip constantly, and we commit Lashon Hara, hateful speech against each other, constantly. And that becomes a really big problem. And the more I dug into it, I realized that it's an epidemic throughout the body. The rabbis say this is why the second temple was destroyed. I believe it was Rashi said this is why Israel deserved to be subjugated by Egypt because they gossiped. And as I was putting this together, the problem was not getting content. The problem was cutting it down to something usable. Because at one point, just amassing material, I had over 150 slides. And I had to start just cutting away with a machete. And I usually don't have that issue. So if you disagree with anything I say at any point... I encourage you to do your own research and look it up. Because for every point I make, there were about 20 more to back it up that I just didn't have time for. A little story about gossip and how our words kind of come back to us, especially when we don't realize someone can hear us. When I started looking at this, a story that came to mind is one of my favorite political figures of the 20th century, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill exemplified integrity and respect in the face of opposition. During his last year in office, he attended an official ceremony. Several rows behind him, two gentlemen began whispering, that's Winston Churchill. They say he's getting senile. They say he should step aside and leave the running of the nation to more dynamic, capable men. And when the ceremony was over, Churchill turned to the men and said, gentlemen, they also said he is deaf. Problematic when you don't realize someone could actually hear you. So let's define gossip. Gossip is speaking negatively to someone who is neither directly part of the problem or part of the solution, generally concerning a person who is not present. Gossip can be far more encompassing than this. For the purposes of today, we'll stick with this. And we have a short video, if we have technical errors set aside. All right, it's on you. Public service announcement, if you will. It spreads like a sickness, and the person who gets sickest is you. 
If I can't tell Winnie to her face that I think she's super annoying, then I shouldn't say it at all. What did you say? Hey, Winnie. I didn't know you were here today. I didn't mean what I just said. I only said that because Jason said that about you. Okay, I would never say that. Jason, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know why I'm saying all this stuff. I guess my mother didn't raise me right, you know? All right. group that puts that together has a lot of great, clean comedy. It's a great illustration of how quickly our words can get away from us. That we start little pieces and then it trickles down and trickles down and trickles down. And it becomes problematic. And Rob Shul says in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good. Fertification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's a reasonable guideline to follow and we don't always follow it very well. We often take that unwholesome word phrase and we say that's referring to profanity, just, which is really just a few choice words in the English language that we decided are bad. And not all languages even have that concept, that there's a couple words, that those words themselves are bad. Some languages don't have that idea. But in America, we want to say that's all this verse means, and that's a really huge mistake. And while the bit we watched is funny... It's a funny illustration of what happens when our words become unwholesome. Because real gossip rarely has any remote comedic effect, especially when you're the target. The rabbis say that Lashon Hara, gossip, negative speech, evil tongue, is equivalent to all three cardinal sins. Murder, adultery, and idolatry. Not just one of them, all three of them put together. When I first read that, I said, give me a break. That is a classic example of overreach, where they are using hyperbole and exaggeration to tease out a concept, but it is clearly not the same as murder, adultery, and idolatry. Is it? That's a bit much. In a culture where everyone's just a few steps away from being practically Hitler, isn't this an overreach where the rabbis are using exaggeration to prove a point? And where do they even get this anyways? They arrive at it by a word in the Hebrew, gadol, and referring to murder in Genesis 4, Cain said to my Lord, is my iniquity too great gadol to bear? And following it through the sin of adultery, Yosef talking to Potiphar's wife, how can I commit this great gadolah, still singular, evil? And then the sin of idolatry, Referring to the golden calf, this people has committed a grave, the law, still singular, sin. But the sin of gossip, Lashon Hara, in Psalm 12:4, may the Lord cut off all smooth lips, the tongue that speaks great things. That word is gedolot. And the rabbis reason that because it's the plural used for gossip, whereas the singular is used for these other sins, that gossip is the equivalent of all three. They say at a minimum of two, but it has to be all three because two of them aren't worse than, uh, aren't better than one. So, 
And that's an overreach, right? When we gossip about someone, sure, it's bad. But we're not doing anything near as bad as murder, adultery, and idolatry, are we? It's hyperbole. It's exaggeration. When we gossip about someone, we're not killing them. We're not being sexually immoral. We're not bowing down to idols. That's absurd, isn't it? Let me say it another way. When we gossip, we're not destroying someone's life. We're not poisoning relationships. And we're not denying God's work in our lives or theirs. Are we? And then you realize that's exactly what we're doing when we gossip. And that is exactly why they say it's the equivalent of all three. Because in one way or another, we do all three. And we'll revisit this concept several times. And while it's not all-encompassing, it is fairly precise to say what happens when this happens in a community. It destroys the community. Again, gossip is speaking negatively to someone who is neither directly part of the problem or part of the solution, generally concerning a person who is not present. The foundational text for this is in Parsha Kiddoshim. Beginning in Leviticus 19.1, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for holy am I, Adonai your God. And that is one way to start off a parsha. And what would you expect to find after that? God imploring us, Be holy, for I am holy. Most people would expect to find, This is how often you meditate. This is how often you read Torah. This is how often you pray. This is how often you worship. An hour a day each. I hope you don't have a day job. And that's what most of society would expect to find. But that's not what we find. Instead, we find an abundance of various laws, seemingly random, many of which detail how we treat each other. The first commandment after this is to honor your father and mother, and then the one after that is to keep the Shabbat. Then we go into the laws on idolatry, laws regarding offerings, reaping a harvest, not stealing or swearing falsely, not cursing a deaf person or putting a stumbling block in front of the blind, laws about making good judgments and not showing deference to someone because they're wealthy. And then we get to verse 16. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. And we see the word slanderous gossip also translated gossip monger or tail-bearing very commonly, depending on your translation. Let's take a closer look at that. That word for slanderous gossip or tail-bearing, rachil, is a variant of the word rachel, which is the word for peddler, like a traitor. Except the gossip is peddling information, not actual goods and wares. And that's repulsive. When we behave this way, we're making ourselves small-minded. And many of us have heard the saying that small minds talk about people. Average minds talk about events. And great minds talk about ideas. When we get caught up in gossip, we make ourselves small-minded. And we shouldn't be talking about each other so much in the first place. What we're not talking about here is, hey, have you seen Tom lately? It's more in the vein of, did you hear what Tom did last night? I can't believe what Lindsay said last week. I heard blah, blah about Jack. And the more we talk about each other, the more we make ourselves small-minded fools peddling information about each other. Gossip is speaking negatively to someone who is neither directly part of the problem or part of the solution, generally concerning a person who is not present 
And many of us fall into the trap of saying, ah, but it's not gossip if it's true. If it's truth, I'm speaking truth and love, nothing more. We need to shed light on other people's lives. And perhaps when we see someone's misdeeds or feel we've been wrong, we convince ourselves of this lie by saying sunlight is the best disinfectant. But when we're on the other side of this, trying to recover from a misstep or a stumble or a mistake, we find out that disinfectant stings. It's still gossip even if it's true. Are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? Then don't share it and don't listen to it. And I'll tell everyone right now when I began writing this again, I was overwhelmed with the content. And content from everywhere, from the Torah, the Tanakh, the Hadashah, from, from Talmud, the sages, a slew of Christian authors. Again, what you see here is a tiny sampling. So this is just a few examples. And I had to stop with the high-level examples from the Torah. Think about each of these. The serpent told Eve half-truths and asked questions intended to deceive. The serpent slandered God to Eve. The spies didn't report anything really inaccurate. What was inaccurate was their interpretation of the events. Everything they said was true, except that God wouldn't be able to do it and that it was an impossible task. Korah was citing, while wildly out of context, other parts of Torah up to that point to Moses and seemingly had very righteous, high-minded ideals. Miriam is a more detailed story, and the common interpretation of the events was that she was digging around in Moshe's marriage, and her intentions were to help. The Ramban comments that this is why the commandment regarding Tzara leprosy in Deuteronomy 24 is linked to Miriam. And this is why Solomon wrote in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Miriam is an example of how seriously God takes slanderous speech, even when well-intended. And then really think about Joseph's story, the final one. Sharing derogatory dreams about your ten big brothers while your ten big brothers are right there. Bad idea. If you're a little sibling, you know this is a really bad idea. I don't think anyone in this room has nine bigger brothers. And then think about all the years later after they had reconciled. Pharaoh was glad when he heard Joseph's brothers were in Egypt. All those years, Joseph never shared the story about how he got there in the first place. Pharaoh would not have been glad if that story had been shared. Why didn't Joseph share it? He had every right to. It's part of his story, part of who he is. It would have made reconciling with his brothers extremely difficult if he had, and that story would have gone very differently, and it could have changed the course of the entire nation of Israel. When we overshare about how others wrong us, because that would have been none of Pharaoh's business in the first place, we make reconciliation very difficult. But as bad as murder, adultery, and idolatry, isn't it a stretch? Isn't it an overreach that we can safely ignore? Let's handle each one one at a time. The rabbis assert that malicious speech about a third party kills three. So you're not a murderer of one. Three die here. It kills the one who speaks malicious speech, the one who accepts the malicious speech when he hears it, and the one about whom the malicious speech is said. The rabbis are actually making two assertions to this. First, that gossip is equated to murder and that gossip kills three. And if you want to shrug off tradition and go on your own interpreting laws regarding gossip, I can't stop you. 
I can tell you that not only will you never become part of a healthy and stable community, you will also become a cancer to any community you attempt to become part of. Because you murder someone when you gossip about them. You harm them in ways that they may never fully recover from. And if you are a party to gossip and you listen to it, you're just as bad or worse than the person who said it in the first place. That's why it kills three. While Judaism teaches that gossip is akin to the murder of three, Judaism is not alone in this. And while I'm not going to cite sources from every world religion, every world religion handles this. When we mess this up, we don't just look foolish to each other. We look foolish to the entire world. There were religions I'd never heard of that have writings against gossip. John Boyes, a 17th century priest and the dean of Canterbury, wrote, The thief does send one only to the devil, the adulterer two, but the slanderer heardeth three, himself, the party to whom, and the party of whom he telleth his tale. So this is not exclusive to Judaism at all. And then we have Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century Baptist. He said, remember that as the receiver is as bad as the thief, so the hearer of the scandal is a sharer in the guilt of it. If there were no listening ears, there would be no tail-bearing tongues. While you are a buyer of ill wares, the demand will create the supply, and the factories of falsehood will be working full time. No one wishes to become a creator of lies, and yet he who hears slanders with pleasure and believes them with readiness will hatch many a brood into active life. Take a look at how Spurgeon words this. You create the demand when you listen to and believe gossip. You're creating the demand, and you're inciting more of it. You send the signal of, this is okay, this is good, give me more, I like it. And just like you learned in economics class, when demand is high, supply tries to meet the demand. And just like a peddler of information, the gossip monger looks for more to sell. In case you're wondering why gossip is so closely linked to murder, take a look at that verse in Leviticus 19.16 again. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. The prohibition against tailbearing gossip shares a verse with murder because the former leads to the latter. Why do you think the shedding of blood shares space in the same verse with the prohibition against gossip? And do we see this anywhere in the Tanakh? Yes. King Saul, David, Ahimelech, and Doeg. And the players in this, Saul, who at the time was king, David, running from Saul, Ahimelech, a priest, Doeg, an Edomite, and chief herder who worked for Saul. And I'm not going to go through the entire story word for word. It's in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. King David is on the run. He goes to the priest, and he says, I'm in haste. I'm on the business of the king. I didn't have time to grab any food. I don't have a weapon. Can you help me out? Ahimelech has no reason to believe King David is anything but a member in good standing of King Saul's court, so he helps him out. I don't have any bread. I do have the showbread. You can go ahead and have that, and I have Goliath's sword for you. He says, okay, thank you, and off he goes. But then Saul is lamenting later that he cannot find David. So what happens? Doeg, present while Saul is... Lamenting this, speaks up. 
And Doeg didn't actually tell Saul much of anything that Ahimelech would not have told Saul himself. But it wasn't Doeg's story to tell. Not only did Doeg's story have little embellishments and, and details that create a specific narrative to lead Saul down a certain idea, but the time between Doeg talking to Saul and Ahimelech talking to Saul gave King Saul time to ruminate and stew and imagine a conspiracy. Ahimelech told Saul roughly the same story Doeg did, but not hearing it from the source gave Saul time to prejudge the matter. All he heard from Ahimelech's mouth is confirmation of the narrative Doeg had already fed him. Ahimelech died the second Doeg started gossiping about him. That was the moment he died. Because he did, and he did not die alone. Because the story ends with the slaughter of 85 priests. And then, in the city of Nob, every man, woman, child, and infant was killed. Because one person could not keep his mouth shut and just say, go talk to so-and-so. I think he saw David, and leave it at that. And who murdered all those people? Physically, no way. Saul authorized it. It was Saul through his hand. The person who gossiped and the person who heard the gossip are both guilty and will both receive judgment. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. That is why there's a prohibition against gossip, because the former leads to the latter. And you can see why the Torah so closely links them. Now, what about adultery? That seems like a stretch, right? And think for a moment. What is adultery? You're taking something, and this is generally a marriage, and you're introducing something impure. You are adulterating it. You're debasing it by introducing something inferior to what it is made of. And this is why Yeshua extends adultery to more than just extramarital sex. Your heart craving something that you are not permitted distorts and adulterates what you should desire. When we gossip, we are introducing an impure element into relationships. And we adulterate the pure unity that we're supposed to have as members of the body of Messiah. Proverbs 17, he who conceals a transgression seeks love. He who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. When we decide to become the managers of someone else's reputation, when we repeat matters that do not concern us or the others around us, we cloud and distort intimacy. If he who conceals a transgression seeks love, what's the opposite of that? He who reveals a transgression, reveals it, seeks hatred, seeks malice, seeks strife. This is not God. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is not of Messiah. It is, if you see this as your holy duty to go around revealing the transgressions of others, I'm telling you right now, you do not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are not a disciple of Messiah. Because you actually hate him and what he stands for. Because you're working against him and the very forgiveness he offers. Through Messiah's blood, he covers our sins and wipes them away. Who is it that accuses us? He wants to drag our sin back up. Satan. When you do that, who are you working for? 
John Piper, an American Baptist theologian, the New Testament warns against gossiping. The Greek word translated gossip means whisper or whisperer. In other words, the focus is not on the falsehood of the word, but on the fact that it needs to be strepitous. That's a big word. There we go. It is not open and candid and forthright. It has darkness about it. It does not operate in the light of love. It is not aiming at healing. It strokes the ego's desire to be seen as right without playing by the rules of love. This darkness he mentions, it's not done in light. It's not done in love. Adultery is rarely done openly because even secular people understand that what they're doing is wrong. Adultery requires secrecy. It requires quiet. It requires deception. It requires a complete perversion of love and grace. Gossip, us talking about what should be a pure and loving relationship between a husband and wife, between members of the body of Messiah, our brothers and our sisters, our neighbor, God-willing fellow heirs with Messiah who will spend eternity in God's kingdom together. And we're polluting that relationship. And for what? To stroke your ego? To make you feel better? Just like adultery, the payoff is abysmal. You stand to lose so much more than you could ever gain. That's why in Proverbs 16 it says, A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. If you have taken it upon yourself to spread strife, to slander others, and to break apart friendships, you are perverse. Rashi comments on this verse that when you do this, you separate yourself, you alienate yourself from God. When we gossip, we murder. When we gossip, we adulterate. But what about the third item? The sin of idolatry. You might say to yourself, I see how gossip harms others in a way akin to murder and adultery. But idolatry is a sin against God. And remember Rashi's note that I just mentioned. It's not hyperbole, because he's drawing that straight from Scripture. Psalm 101, Whosoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him will I destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. And the sages interpret this to mean, God will not share eternity with those who gossip. When you slander, you remove yourself from God, and he removes himself from you. He will not endure you because you are grieving the Holy Spirit. We reveal ourselves when we do this to be arrogant. Idolatry is ultimately about worshiping ourselves. Because the idols we worship are only reflections on our wants and our desires. If I'm a farmer, I'll worship the god of agriculture because I want a good crop. If I'm a warrior, then I'll worship the god of war because I need to do well in combat. It's about your own selfish desires. And that has nothing to do with faith in Messiah. That has nothing to do with the God of Israel because we worship him out of relationship. We worship him out of love. Pastor Ray Ortland comments, Gossip is, a, is our dark moral fervor eagerly seeking gratification. Gossip makes us feel important and needed as we declare our judgments. It makes us feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone else guilty. Gossip can feel good in multiple ways, but it is of the flesh, not of the spirit. When we gossip, we make ourselves the judge. It is not about what's best for the other person anymore. It's about you. 
your ego, your righteous responsibility to pronounce the misdeeds of all those fallen sinners you're surrounded by. And besides, if you didn't make a point so loudly proclaiming the misdeeds of others, how on earth would anyone know how good you are? Proverbs 11.9 With his mouth the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. And the sages discuss one remedy for gossip is that if the person, and they use the word ignoramus, if he's an idiot, he needs to gain knowledge. When you gossip, you reveal yourself at best to be a fool. And read that verse again carefully. The godless uses his mouth to destroy his neighbor. Knowledge delivers the righteous. Perhaps you lack knowledge. That's your best option here, that you're dumb. The other is that you are completely unholy without God. As we come up on the High Holy Days, we have special services which have prayers discussing at great length repentance, forgiveness of sin, and judgment. And how completely unlike us, God is. And how incredible it is that he actually cares about us. One prayer, the Alchet, the Alchet, where we go through corporately a long list of sins. We'll say this on Yom Kippur. I encourage you to pay close attention to this prayer. And note that roughly a third of those sins we repent of have to do with speech. Another custom we have is Tashlif, where we go to a body of water and throw breadcrumbs or rocks into the water. And the imagery and the source of that is from Micah chapter 7. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God offers to drown our sins in the depths of the sea, to where they're gone forever, out of sight, completely. And when we gossip, we're attempting to reject God's work in this forgiveness towards someone else. It is God who says he desires to sink our sins to the bottom of the sea, to where they are gone, to where they're out of sight, forgotten, removed, never to be brought up again. And when we gossip, we're telling God the work of salvation, repentance, forgiveness... Not good enough. Why? Because of your ego. Because you haven't gotten yours. It's not enough for you to approach someone about how they wronged you. You need that on display for everyone. Everyone has to see it. You want someone defined by their sin. Why? Because they hurt me. Forgiveness might be great for you, but other people need to be held accountable. So we work against God, and we dive into that sea and do everything we can to bring back up what God himself buried. And all we do is reveal what kind of a person we actually are. James, the Apostle James says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. He specifies here, your religion is worthless if you cannot bridle your tongue. It does not matter how much you shout out to God, how much you pray, how much liturgy you've learned or memorized, how ecstatically you shout during worship, how much time you spend in prayer, how much scripture you memorize. It's worthless if you fail to bridle your tongue because your tongue will reveal what you are actually like on the inside. It is exactly like murder, adultery, and idolatry. 
People have died, left communities, and disengaged from their own families over gossip, hateful speech, hateful tongue. You can call it what you want. They were literally or figuratively murdered to those closest to them. Gossip adulterates relationships. It injects impurity into what otherwise would be a pure reflection of God's love for us. It's like idolatry because we're leveraging others against a person. And by default, we're ruling out God working in that person's life. We want to make their sin immortal, but we want ours gone and buried. I asked for two volunteers, Scott and Chris. Would you please come up? We're going to play a little game. Go ahead and pull that table out and you can face everyone so they can see a little better. Open the bag. There are two items in it. Each of you get one. What is it? Toothpaste. Go ahead and toss the bag aside, please. All right, we're going to play a game. Now, you have to keep, we're going to empty the tubes of toothpaste as fast as you can, but it has to be on those pans because this carpet's new and they'll be very upset. All right. Okay? All right, go ahead and open the toothpaste. I'll, I'll say when. Ready? Are we ready? I can't, I can't see. Set. Go. Three, two, one. I think Chris had it by a hair. Good work. All right. We have round two. Put it back in the tube. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Before, before we go on, I, uh, I completely ripped that off from Rabbi Schiller from a draw she did 15 years ago. Uh, and I remember the look. He had a couple of uh, young teenagers, maybe they might not have been teenagers yet, and the look that one of the kids gave him when he said, put it back in the tube, was this look of absolute terror because he had no idea how to do it. And that look is seared into my mind. Psalm 64, hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity. They have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aim bitter speech as their arrows. When you shoot an arrow, it's kind of hard to go get it. If you've ever gone out and shot arrows just kind of for fun in some open country, shooting the arrows is a lot of fun. Going and getting them is really frustrating, especially when you're shooting at, at up in the sky. I hope you're good at cardio. And there's a story about a rabbi in a, in a community who was slandered by one of his congregants, by one of his fellow Jews. And this guy was going around telling stories about the rabbi. And you, you might have heard the story in, in various forms. Finally, this guy starts to feel bad about all the slander and gossip towards his own rabbi. So he goes to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, this is what I've done. I want you to forgive me. I want to make it right. The rabbi says, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a pillow full of feathers and go stand up on a hill and tear it open. And then come back and see me. The guy says, okay, no problem. Goes, tears open the pillow full of feathers on a hill, comes back to the rabbi and says, all right, I did what you asked. 
And the rabbi says, go get the feathers. And the guy with probably that same panicked look that that kid gave Rabbi Schiller 15 years ago, how can I? They're everywhere. There's no way. The wind took them all in every direction. And the rabbi said, you can no sooner undo the damage you've done to me than you can collect all those feathers. Those arrows are gone. What you did is permanent. You can apologize, and I can forgive you. You have harmed me to the entire community. And just like it would have taken them hours to put that toothpaste back in, they would have gotten maybe most of it. What they did in seconds would take them hours, and it would still leave a mess. And that's exactly what we do with our words. And that's why our words, our speech, bitter speech, is like arrows. Once you shoot it, it's gone. So what do we do when we encounter this? What do we do when we encounter any sin at all? Well, first off, don't go around talking about someone's misdeeds. Not only is it none of everyone's business, it doesn't help the person who has the problem. And Yeshua lays out very clearly that we will be judged by every careless word we speak. We have to give a full accounting for everything. And this is terrifying. Because I come from a family that talks a lot. Don't do this. And I'm sure we all have more than enough to account for in our careless words that murder our brothers, our careless words that adulterate relationships, our careless words that harm our own communities and turn our hearts away from God. We can't afford this. And Rav Shul discusses this in Romans. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Notice gossip and slanderers is on a list tucked between murder, strife, deceit, and haters of God. None of these are marks of a believer. And if Satan can convince you that even one of these is permissible, he has you. It's one thing to struggle with a sin. It's another entirely to endorse it. And we all have to work together against it. Gossip destroys relationships. It destroys trust. It destroys credibility. And it destroys entire communities. I have watched and experienced each of these happen. We're going to rapid fire these. This is the stuff I didn't cut out with the machete. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. When we gossip, we set ourselves against God. We actively deny his power, his forgiveness, and his redemptive work. What is it that makes us feel like we need to go around busybodying and talking about others, hanging their sin around their necks like little devils who loathe the idea that God would forgive them, that forgiveness is for other people too? Poisoning someone's name in the hearts and minds of others. It's Satan's sin of pride, and it's ego, and we know better. I promise you that God knows better. And when man looked and saw a fugitive with a stutter, God saw who he could use to save Israel from Egypt, Moses. Man saw a Pharisaic rabbi who had gone off the reservation entirely and was murdering followers of Yeshua. 
God saw a man who would soon champion the gospel like no other, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul. Do many of us not realize the standards that we would set amongst ourselves would preclude most, if not all, of the great men and women in the entire Bible? And let's again revisit that definition of Lashon Hara. Gossip is speaking negatively to someone who is neither directly part of the problem or part of the solution, generally concerning a person who is not present. Let's change gears and talk about what to do a little more specifically. When we encounter a sin, when we have a conflict of any kind with another person, Yeshua discusses this very clearly in Matthew 18. And I have seen people's lives, close friends of mine, their lives changed in the direction of it altered because this was not followed. I have watched congregations split because they did not follow this. It is not a recommendation. It is precise. If your brother sins, go and show him his faults in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, Take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Issue according to Torah there. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the congregation. And if he refuses to listen even to the congregation, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. At that point, that person has self-selected to not be part of the group. If you have an issue with someone, you have two choices. You can approach them about your issue in private, or you can drop it and get over it. Whichever of those makes more sense. There is no other option. Conflict coming about between each other is part of a community and to be expected. So don't freak out when we have little skirmishes. It happens. People decide they want to spend the rest of their life with someone. It's called marriage. And people fight. So that, that we have disagreements at times should not surprise us. When we do decide to address an issue, what's your goal? And take careful note in verse 15. If he listens, which is what you want him to do, you have won your brother. Winning your brother is your goal and your motive in approaching him in the first place. Not to make yourself feel good. You want to win him, to come to terms quickly. If your motive is not to win your brother, if that's not your heart's desire, then you are not beginning this process with a proper motivation, and you haven't begun it at all. The only time you are allowed to bring the issue up with other people is in the next verse. If your brother does not come to terms with you, and you fail to win him. And notice, this also is not done secretly from him either. The next step involves him with other people. Failing that, it's gossip. You are bringing in others to mediate and discuss. And only after failing that can it become public knowledge. Each progression here would not be a surprise to any party. And they would know exactly what is coming next. And exactly the consequence of not coming to terms. And what does the world say? And I, I retranslated this for the, the world's version. If your brother sins, go and share his fault secretly with another. 
And then go to two or three more because it is written by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every fact may be confirmed. And then go to the whole assembly with his sin and regard him as a Gentile and a tax collector. This happens more often than not. And that is really terrible. And this is what the world says to do. And this is exactly what Satan wants us to do. Don't try to win your brother. Don't try to reconcile. He messed up. Ruin him. This is the cancel culture of today. Go back 10 years in someone's tweets and find something they did wrong and hang it around their neck and make them look like a terrible person. By the time... By the time anyone goes through everything we've done, we've all done horrible things that probably by the definition, none of us should even have jobs, none of us should have houses, we should all be homeless. And by the time everyone hears it, it doesn't matter how you respond. Everyone's made up their mind about you. It didn't matter what Ahimelech said to Saul. King Saul already had his mind made up. And all Ahimelech did is confirm Saul's narrative. Do not do that. Galatians chapter 6 provides another useful example. Rav Shul says how we go about this. And we'll handle this verse by verse. Verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Any trespass. Not one that you find convenient, not one you've struggled with yourself as well. Anything. For several years long ago, I was, I was involved in a deliverance ministry. I was a very young man. And the kind of stuff I was around reminded me that I had a very sheltered upbringing. Because I was in the room for the craziest marriage counseling sessions. It was mostly a fly on the wall. People talked about different ways they were abused as children. People who confessed to adultery confessed to abusing. And what helped me was, as I looked over, and the men in the room, no matter what the person confessed to, always had a calm, compassionate look on their face. Because they wanted to extend the love of God to this person. And that really affected me. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We're not here to beat each other up. We're not here to shoot our wounded. If you have a struggle, we are here to help restore you. If you are not here to help restore someone, you have the wrong motive. And we look to ourselves so that you too will not be tempted. Do you think you're too good? Was King David too good to commit adultery? I am not a better man than King David. And he fell into that. God called, God called him a man after his own heart. He wrote scripture. I have not been called that by God, nor have I written scripture. King David did both of these things. And he screwed up massively. If he can do that, any of us are capable of anything. So when we judge someone's missteps, remember, we're all carrying the cross of Messiah. It's the same cross. What does the world say about this? I have the world's version here too. Brothers, if you catch another believer in sin, you who are godly should harshly and proudly shame and berate that person to never show in their face near you again. Hang their sin around their neck and be brash. There is no way you could ever fall into the same temptation. Okay. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Messiah. The world's version. Other people's problems are their own. 
Only love and help others when it is beneficial to you or convenient. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Wise words. The world's version. You are worthy of everyone's immediate and utmost respect. Anyone who doesn't get that is a waste of your time. And verse 4. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. We compare ourselves to each other way too much. And the kingdom of heaven is not graded on a bell curve. It doesn't matter how much better you are than someone else. We are never called to make these comparisons with each other. Ever. It's like a bunch of three-year-olds arguing over who's the strongest. It doesn't matter. (laughs) In the world's version of this, look at everyone else. Compare yourself to them. And make sure you're always superior. Your sin is practically nothing compared to most people's. Remember, the kingdom of God is greater than the bell curve. Paul says it clearly in verse 1. Our heart should be to restore each other when we stumble. Did you fall? Let me help you back up. Let me help you back up if you're struggling. What do you need? If you are in sin, that is sickness. And we are here to help each other, to restore each other, and to heal each other. Nobody needs a busybody, and nobody needs a gossip. This is a trait that does not do the body of Messiah any good, and it is not a trait that we need. It is a trait that will destroy us if we permit it to exist in any form. John Calvin wrote, It is a sign of a perverse and treacherous disposition to wound the name, the good name, of another when he has no opportunity to defend himself. I consider looseness with words no less of a defect than looseness of the bowels. In other words, Calvin is saying if you gossip, you have diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> C.S. Lewis also notes it may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. And it's interesting, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia series, he wrote in the book The Horse and His Boy, there are several conversations between Aslan and other characters where Aslan is questioning, uh, being questioned about other people. And each time, Aslan replies, Child, I am telling you your own story, not hers. No one is told any story but their own. You cannot confess someone else's sin for them. You cannot be anyone else's Holy Spirit. You can't even be your own. God tells us how to deal with these matters. And when we fail to address our grievances, our problems in private, when we choose to humiliate someone rather than preserve their dignity, we are working against the kingdom of heaven. This is why I chose that title. Because when we gossip, just as Miriam became a leper and had to be sent out of the camp, we ourselves become spiritual lepers, which God specifies he will not endure. And if we refuse to change, he will not include us in the kingdom. Why? Because he's mean? Because he's hateful? It's because that behavior has no place in the kingdom. And God wants you passionately. He will not take your sin into heaven with you. He will cover it. He will forgive it. He will sink it to the bottom of the sea. And he will even die to cleanse you of it. But he will not allow it into eternity in his presence. The damage of gossip in our community, it makes us less open about our struggles. 
It turns us away from community. It turns people away from repentance. It destroys unity. And it makes it easy for people to stay in their sin. Because if you think confessing to someone is going to give you a name or a title that's going to be hung around your neck, what do we do? We keep it to ourselves. Because there's no way I want a reputation. It makes it convenient for us to struggle in silence. And it goes against the original message of John the Baptist and Yeshua. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Gossip drives people apart, either literally or figuratively, murdering them. It pollutes relationships and it separates us from God. Why am I saying this? Will the music team go ahead and come up, please? It's not because I think we have an unusually high amount of gossip in our community. It's because I've seen a multitude of communities, but including this one, pay for it time and time again. And being good at this is not enough. We have to be great at it. The biggest reason I'm speaking about this, there's three of them. And they're sitting over there. Two of them are usually upstairs in Shabbat class. And one is in my wife's arms for my kids. And I want them to grow up surrounded by people who love them. And when they stumble, and if they're anything like me, they will insist on learning many things the hard way. I want them around people who want to heal and restore them. I want them around people who see them the way God sees them. When we don't approach each other with love, we ruin friendships, we hurt communities, we create rifts that can last for decades. We wound souls, we drive people away from Messiah. And I promise you, just as Yeshua said it in Matthew 12, we will all be held accountable for everything we do. When we gossip, and I know people have been gossiped about, and they are not believers anymore. It literally turned them away from God. Do you think God won't bring that up on Judgment Day? If we are not becoming better disciples of Yeshua, if we are not raising up other disciples of Yeshua and making more and more, we are not fulfilling our purpose. We're wasting our time if we're not raising up disciples of Messiah. As Paul said to the Jew first and to make disciples of our master. And this is closing, and instead of a prayer just I say, I'd like us all to say this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Again, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's Psalm 114, verse 3. And the verse just below it, Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Again, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I believe we should pray scripture back to God. And these are our prayers. This is the closing prayer today. Because we all need to watch over our speech. And my prayer is that as a community, we learn to better encourage each other and that we give grace to each other. That we can grow and love each other and respect each other. Amen and Shabbat Shalom.